0: And we're in the middle of a 21-day fast. This is the second week that we're done with, and I just want to celebrate you. Can you give yourself a hand if you're able? It is worth it. It is worth it. And I want to encourage you to finish strong because God is with you in the midst of your, of your fast. As Laura mentioned, we had an incredible week of prayer and fasting here, and I want to say thank you to, to Chris who led that for us. Wherever she sat, I don't see her. But we're just, uh, we're thankful for Chris and just her obedience there. And what an incredible time of God's presence we had uh, throughout this week. I know that our fast is worth it. I know that seeking the favor of God is worth it. And I am encouraged that you're seeking God with me. I'm not alone. There's something about united hunger, about united, a a, a desperate unity that moves the heart of God that's very powerful. So I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life, in your life. And as we look at the scriptures, really, as we look at throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will notice very clearly that fasting and prayer, prayer and fasting is a part of the reality of those who seek the Lord. God seekers, God chasers, those who encounter God are people who are well acquainted with prayer and fasting. It's a reality for the seekers. When you look at the Bible, you find that Daniel was in prayer and fasting when he needed to hear from God. Nehemiah was in prayer and fasting when he needed God's favor and provision. Esther led the Hebrews in prayer and fasting when they confronted an enemy, and so did Jehoshaphat, countless others. The prophet Joel called for prayer and fasting in a time of corporate repentance where everybody was seeking to be right with God. Uh, The apostles and the church were in prayer and fasting in Acts chapter 13 as they were looking for God to give them direction about how to go about the evangelistic work that needed to take place so that people could come to faith in Jesus. And Jesus teaches the disciples and all of his followers that we ought to be in prayer and fasting and learning how to live in that secret place, how to seek for God to reward us. And at the rock, just like we see in the Bible, Just like we see throughout the entire testimony of Scripture, we want to build a culture of prayer and fasting, not just a one-time event, not just something that we do to say, I'm going to check that off, thank God I'm not doing that again this year, right? But we want to build a culture of prayer and fasting because we want to be a people who are God-seekers and God-centered, We want to be a people who begin to realize the reality of the matter is this, our sacrifice of fast, our our fasting and our prayer, that sacrifice doesn't match the reward and the benefit, right? We fast and we want to have a culture of prayer, fasting, because we also need to hear from God just like Daniel. We also need God's favor and provision for his vision, just like Nehemiah. We also want the victory over our enemies, just like Esther and Jehoshaphat. We also want to live a lifestyle of repentance before God, just like God called the the people of God in the book of Joel. We also need direction for evangelism. Do you know that Oregon needs Jesus? Do you know that Toledo needs Jesus? Do you believe that today? What What is the price of one's soul to Jesus? It matters to him. What's a soul's worth in the eyes of Christ? We need direction. We need desperation. We need hunger. We also want to live our lives being rewarded by God, just like Jesus taught us to live. I want us to see that fasting is not separate from prayer, but fasting is a component of prayer, right? Fasting is not separate from prayer, but a component of prayer. I I really do want to encourage you after these 21 days, listen, to think about, God, throughout this year, how do I have fasting be a part of my living, right? Well, maybe once a week, maybe several days throughout the month. I don't know what that looks like for you. But to begin to say, God, fasting is a part of my prayer life, what does that look like for me? Because I believe that you want me to have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Why? Because prayer and fasting in Scripture, they go hand in hand. Fasting is just a component. And I can say this, fasting is incomplete without prayer, right? So if throughout this whole time I've been just not eating and just been miserable and not talking to big Jesus, right, asking him to do great things, then I'm really missing out on the wonderful opportunity for God to move in my life and in the life of others, right? My, okay, my prayer life, right, is in a sense, gets a boost from fasting. Those hunger pains are supposed to encourage me to go to that prayer place to seek God for greater things. So fasting is so absolutely valuable. I can say fasting is incomplete without prayer, and sometimes prayer is incomplete without fasting. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes prayer is incomplete without fasting. There are times, there are times where we need more than prayer. That's right. That's right. I'm going to say that, and it may even sound heretical, but there are times where we need, a, we need a boost to our prayer life. When I am facing an impossible situation, it's a time to fast and pray. So, When, when should we fast? When is, when is there a time in my life where I should you know, engage prayer in a deeper way, right, through fasting? Number one, if you're facing an impossible situation, that's a great time to say, okay, I'm going to fast. I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to pray, but I'm gonna, I'm going to dedicate some time of fasting before the Lord. When I'm praying for something that requires a long-term commitment and maybe also maybe also has many pieces that need to be put in place. For example, maybe you're praying for the salvation of a loved one. Maybe you're, maybe you're praying. I don't know, for God to bring about a miracle to your finances and how you do life with your finances. And you realize that it, it's, it's a long-term deal. You're in the middle of the battle and you got some debt that you got to get rid of, but, but you believe God's given you this vision that you want to be that free, whatever it may be. When you see that there's something that God wants you to accomplish, God gives you a vision, right? And you see, whoa, how am I going to get there? Right? It's a long-term deal. That's a great thing to engage in prayer and fasting in your life. To make that a part of your schedule to say, this is something God wants. I'm going to introduce prayer and fasting in order to address this deal because I'm believing that God's going to do something great here. When things are completely outside of your control. I am, I am in many ways a controlled person. I like controlled environments. You know, I am in many ways, in some regard, I like certain control. And Jesus a lot of times, likes to put me in places where I have no control. And it's the best. (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) Right? It is extremely uncomfortable. But it is... He puts us in those places because he wants us to get desperate and to understand that that's a perfect place to pray and fast and say, God, this is outside of my control. And here's the deal. I don't even know how to act when I'm not in control. I act a fool. Sometimes I say the wrong thing. Sometimes I act the wrong way. And God, I just need you to help me out. Oh, is it just me? Anybody understand what I'm saying? Anybody understand what I'm saying? When things are outside of our control, it's a great time to pray and fast and seek the Lord. When I am wanting freedom from habits that do not honor the Lord. There are habits in my life, addictions or whatever it may be that do not honor the Lord. Listen, I've been practicing that sin or that sinful habit for a long term time. Probably there's going to be an area of me having to persevere for a long period of time for me to get my freedom. I love what Dr. Rutland would say at Southeastern University. He said some demons you can rebuke out and some demons you're going to have to starve out. I'm going to repeat that again. Some demons you can rebuke out. You're going to be done with them. Some old habits, some all spiritual things, you're going to be able to get rid of them. They're not going to be an issue anymore. But some things you're going to have to starve out. And like starving is not comfortable. You and I don't know starving because we're Americans, right? Right? And so this is another reason why fasting is so good because, you know, we, Rebecca and I were talking about it. Isn't it crazy we're hungry and we just go to the fridge, right? If you're hungry, you just go to the fridge. You never have to deal with hunger pain in America. You could just, for the most part, most of us, there's definitely hunger in America that needs to be addressed. But most of us would say, for the most part, you know, we don't even let ourselves have hunger pains. We're snacking ourselves to death, right? <laughs> like, you know, so we don't even know hunger, much less we don't know starving, but in, 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 when it comes to spiritual warfare, thank God for Jesus' grace and patience, man. I am so thankful for his patience. But he's leading us to a place of desperation. A place of desperation. He's just churning and churning and working and working on us until we're ready. And he leads us to this place, right, because it is in that desperate place, where we really begin to seek the Lord. And so it's so important, when you think about it, when I'm wanting freedom from habits that do not honor the Lord, that's a great thing to begin to say, I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to pray and fast. To, to, to be, that's going to be a part of, of what I'm doing in order to gain freedom here. There are times in our walk with the Lord where we need to press into God with our desperation and fasting is a sure way to get God's attention and to prepare ourselves for whatever it is that God desires to do. Now there's definitely pushback to fasting. There are a lot of people who really say, "Oh, that's that's not really right." Here are some things that I've heard before. Fasting is in the Old Testament. People who fast, it's for the Old Testament. We're in a new covenant. Jesus is always with us. We don't have to fast. We do not need to practice fasting anymore. Here's the problem. Why did Jesus teach it so much to his disciples? Number two, why was the church fasting in Acts chapter 13 seeking for direction in their lives? Third, why did Jesus fast so often? And I didn't say, why did Jesus fast for 40 days so long? I said, why did Jesus fast so often? Because there's no way Jesus fasted for 40 days straight without already practicing a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Right? Do you see that? Sometimes we make an assumption that because we don't see the word fasting popping up over and over again in the New Testament, that it means that people were not fasting. But you should note that whenever prayer is talked about, they're also wanting the reader. The reader there should see that fasting is a part of the prayer journey. So there are some old translations that would say this generation will not pass but without prayer and fasting. Some near translations just say this generation will not pass without prayer because really when you look at the documents, it just says prayer. But that's because prayer and fasting, were not supposed to be separated. But us, we're like, oh, praise God, just prayer, glory to God. I highlighted fasting with a black magic marker. Sorry, I just circled prayer. Jesus. <laughs> no, because in the New, the New Testament life, Jesus left. He's, right, in, in some regard, he's with the Father, but he's coming back, and you and I are supposed to be waiting for him, and fasting is one of those tools that we're supposed to employ in our lives as we wait on the Lord and seek his presence. Some would say, well, fasting is fanatical, and it's unbiblical, and it's practiced by those who don't live like God is in control. I heard this, but you know, you guys, you Pentecostals, you guys just don't know grace, and there's some truth to that. In some regard, you know, spirit-filled movement has struggled with grace, you know, but I don't receive all of that because there's some lie to that, and 99% truth is still a lie. Can I get a witness? Right? So you guys just don't know grace, and you pray, and you fast, and you seek God as if God didn't save you already. No. We're not praying and fasting for salvation. We're, praying fast and pray. we're in prayer and fasting because we're growing in our salvation. Right? We're in prayer and fasting because we're seeking to grow in intimacy. We're seeking to grow in power. We're seeking to grow in the promises of God. And God is looking for a people who will seek him. Why else would Jesus give us this incredible parable when he says, you know, there's this woman who has suffered incredible injustice. And she lives in the town where there is this judge who is godless, does not fear me, and does not care for anyone. Imagine being judged by someone who doesn't love people. Imagine a judge who does not love people. And he says, that woman kept going to that judge over and over and over and over again. And that judge, she knew he's a godless man who doesn't care for people. But she kept going over and over and over again. Eventually, the judge said, oh, my goodness, this lady's driving me nuts. I'm going to give her what she wants so that I can get rid of her. And then, and then God, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. If that wicked judge finally gave in, how much more will your father hear you if you seek him? It's not that God is saying that he's just like that judge. He's saying, I'm not like that judge. Unlike that judge, I do care for you. Unlike that judge, I'm wanting to answer your prayers. Unlike that judge, I want to give you justice. Unlike that judge, I want to show my mercy. Unlike that judge, I want to give you my promises right? But then Jesus says this, but when he comes back, has Jesus returned yet? Are we waiting for the return of the Lord? Is there a church still excited about Jesus's return? So therefore, this is what Jesus says, but when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find faith on the earth? I'll tell you in my life, little fasting means little faith. My prayer and my fasting are the clear indication that I am desperate for him. Where I see little prayer and little fasting, I see little faith. I see a lot of dependence. Now, I don't know what that means for you. Again, I'm making that the case for me. But when he comes back, will he find faith in us? What do we do with Hebrews eleven six? then when it says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. And what do we do with Matthew chapter 7 on down that says, seek and you will find, knock and I'll answer, ask and you'll receive. And what do we do with James chapter 4 that says, resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, then he will flee. Fasting is not about gaining our salvation. It is about growing in salvation. It is a part of the spiritual formation that will align our lives to the will of the Father. A lifestyle of fasting is critical for our spiritual formation. As believers, we should see fasting as a gift from God that strengthens our intimacy and also a weapon of our warfare for the victory that God has given us. We may have dropped the ball. Maybe throughout these 21 days it's been very difficult. It's supposed to be. Part of it will be. Maybe you're discouraged, you're disheartened, you find like, man, it's a, it's a real struggle. But I just want to say, hey, get back up. Nobody just starts fasting and automatically they're just pros at it and don't struggle, right? You're probably not fasting the right thing if it's not a struggle. You know, when I come up here and I jokingly say I'm fasting celery for the rest of my life, that's not a struggle ever. You'll never see a celery stick in my hand. I rebuke that, right? (laughs) You know, but if you're not, if your fasting doesn't create a struggle in you, then you got to ask yourself, am I really fasting? Now, there is a breakthrough in the midst of the fast. Let me just coach you. There is a breakthrough in the midst of a couple of days you get in there, then all of a sudden you feel like, I can do this, right? It's like when you're a runner. For those who are runners, you get across a certain mileage, and all of a sudden you know, I can finish. I can finish in the same way with fasting. But I want to encourage you these next seven days to take advantage of prayer and fasting. And I want to encourage you to think, God, how do I make fasting a part of my lifestyle? Because I want you to think about this reality. There are things in your life that will require you to fast. Bottom line. There will be moments in your life and in your ministry that will require you to fast if you're going to get to that other side where God wants you to be. Now let's go to Mark chapter 9. Scripture there verse 14 just gives us such an example. And it reads this way. This is after the transfiguration. This is after Jesus shows himself in his glory to Peter and John. And here Jesus is going back to the rest of his his disciples. This this is what the scripture says. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with the disciples uh, about? What are you arguing about with them? if you can, you see that exclamation point? There, Get a picture of Jesus at this moment. Because if you can do anything, wait, if you can? I love it when Jesus expresses his authority. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. One of my favorite portions of scripture. I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Notice that. Notice the way the Lord speaks to the demonic authorities. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and I command you to never enter him again. But prayer, Father, thank you for your word. Would you, Father, show us what it is that we need to glean from here in this portion of Scripture? Would you have your way, declare your truth to us today, in Jesus' name? I want you to just notice. In context, Jesus is coming back from the Transfiguration scene, a glorious moment where Peter and John saw Jesus as who He was, and He's coming down and He sees a crowd of people surrounding the disciples, and they're obviously talking in a way where Jesus thinks they're arguing. And why are they arguing? Because they brought this young kid, right, this boy, to them so that he he could be healed and the boy's not being healed. I want you to notice something. They didn't just walk away when the boy wasn't healed. They stayed and they were arguing with him. Why do you think they were arguing? Because the crowd had come to expect for healing to take place every time. You don't remain at a place if you don't think something different can happen. You don't remain in the same place if you don't believe that something different can happen. So they stayed with the disciples because they had seen that they were already performing all these miracles. Probably people within that crowd were healed of many things, and they saw it with their own eyes. And then all of a sudden, when it came to his boy, his boy's not being healed. He goes, "Uh uh-uh that guy was not walking, that guy was not seeing, and that girl was demon-possessed, and they were all set free, but you know, I'm staying here till you do something. Yeah. I've seen you do something, something has happened, it needs to happen, right? Until so you got this scene where the crowd is surrounding the disciples, and Jesus just comes uh, to him, and the man goes to Jesus and says, listen, this is, my, this is my situation, you know? It's like, can you imagine the man just looking at the disciples? Okay, where's your supervisor? You're not going to do this for me? And here comes Jesus. Thank God. I've been asking for you. (laughs) These (laughs) deadbeats. Right? He says, look, I have this boy. He's been struggling. Can you imagine being a father of a boy where a demon possesses this boy and throws him in the water and throws him in the fire, foaming at the mouth, growing rigid? I mean, not knowing when this is going to happen. Can you imagine the kind of torment as parents that you would live with? Can you imagine the kind of desperation this father had? He said, The disciples, they prayed, but they couldn't couldn't drive this thing out. Now, I want you to notice Jesus did not rebuke the Father. He rebuked the disciples. He said, faithless generation, how long am I going to put up with you? And this is very interesting because when Jesus usually talks about faithless generation or declares something like that, he's talking about those who are unbelieving, those who are in the world of darkness. But here he is talking to his disciples, you faithless generation. And another portion, we see him talking to Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. Right? Like Jesus had some really strong words for his disciples. He rebuked them, right? He strongly (laughs) rebuked them. He says, how long am I going to put up with your lack of faith? And then they're sitting there, they're just eating crow, right? They're, eating, yeah, they're dealing with that reality. And Jesus, and Jesus, as he's about to pray for the boy, the father says, you know, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, would you please heal my boy? And Jesus says, I can. I can. Do you believe? And here is this classic moment, okay, where the man says, I believe. Can you help my unbelief? Can anybody relate to that man? Can you imagine? I, I believe that you can heal. I know that you can heal because I've seen you healed. But part of me doubts this could happen because this is the only reality I've ever known. Reality where my boy, boy is thrown in the water and my boy is thrown in the fire and my boy is foaming at the mouth. You know, it's all I've ever known. I believe. Can you help me in my belief? Jesus didn't rebuke him for saying that. Very interesting. His disciples received correction. But Jesus didn't rebuke. Instead, he acted in the midst of that, in the midst of the doubt and in the midst of the faith, because faith and doubt were there pressing at the same time. God moved in power. Now later, then later, the disciples are with Jesus and they're just dumbfounded, right? Right? Because it's like they're going everywhere. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered. Things are happening. They're very powerful, very beautiful in the name of Jesus. They're just going and praying in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be delivered. In the name of Jesus, right? And things are happening. But in this case, it couldn't happen. And they're perplexed. Finally, they get along with Jesus, and they ask him, Jesus, why couldn't we drive them out? We've driven things out before. We've seen healing take place before. Why in this instance did it not come out? And what did Jesus say? Uh, You can't just declare my name on this one, boys. This one requires something deeper. This one requires prayer. And if you study there, that scripture, it's actually talking about an intense time, uh, a time of prolonged persevering prayer. Prayer. I would say prayer and fasting. Now, when we look at all that scripture, when we look at everything that we just read, there are the disciples. They operate in God's power. They've seen great things happen. They encounter something that needed just a little bit more than what they've already received. Jesus said to them, This requires prayer. Now, what do we see in all the scripture that you and I need to take away? And I'm just going to walk through it so that we don't miss anything until we get to the end here. So stick with me as we do this in an inductive manner. Number one, Jesus is a warrior king. And all the demons in hell know it. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again. Jesus is warrior king and every single demon and principality in hell knows it. There is, There is no instance... Where Jesus encounters a demon who dares speak to him in pride. Right? They are in fear and trembling before Christ. And they immediately begin to manifest because they know that the one who has the authority to judge is there. He is present. He has all power. I want you to just think about Jesus in Revelation. He's riding on a horse with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Right? It's a powerful reality. That's our Savior. Jesus is a warrior king. I can, I can! Exclamation point, right? (laughs) Jesus is a warrior king, and I think you and I need to pray to him like we know that he's a warrior king. We need to believe in him like we know that he's a warrior king. We need to stand up against sin like we know that he's a warrior king. We got to stand up against this intolerant, tolerant age knowing that our Jesus, our Jesus is the warrior king. We got to stop being bullied by this culture and stand up on the truth of God's word because we know that Jesus is warrior King. Second, when Jesus rebukes us, it's for our good. I want you to just think about this. When Jesus rebukes us, it's for our good. Notice, were the disciples away from Jesus? The Bible say, well, Jesus rebuked them, and so they went back to fishing. And they went to back to collecting taxes. No, they were still with Jesus in an intimate place too. And notice the disciples brought back to Jesus what they struggled with. They didn't keep silent about it. They weren't afraid to bring it up to Jesus because they wanted to learn. They were his disciples. So they went to Jesus and said, so what happened there? Tell us, what do we need to do different? What happened there? Why, why didn't we have the power to do that? Jesus said, oh, you needed more at that moment. You needed persevering prayer in order to have that. So The rebuke of Jesus for his disciples were never to push away his disciples. It was to bring them in. So I want you to hear this. There is no way that you can be a Christian without Jesus rebuking you. It ain't going to happen. And by the way, Jesus can rebuke you through a multiplicity of ways. He can rebuke you through a friend. He can rebuke you through a sermon. He can rebuke you through a worship song that you're listening to. As you open up your Bible and you do one of these, speak to me, Lord. <laughs> he can rebuke you through that. You know, he can, he can rebuke you through somebody who doesn't know Jesus. He can rebuke you through a sign on the street. He can rebuke you through, Jesus can speak to you. And I want you to know something. A rebuke, is a rebuke. It's tough. It doesn't feel great. It's not like, oh, I just got rebuked. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to hurt. There will be things that your Lord and Savior will tell you that will hurt. But he doesn't tell them to you to break you or to crush you. He he speaks it to you to either heal you or to bring you from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. Amen. Amen. It's just a reality. There is no way that you can do life with, with Jesus without Jesus having to correct some things. And some things that Jesus wants to correct are some lifelong habits that do not reflect his nature, and they're going to hurt when he addresses those things. There are character issues that we have that do not line up to the kingdom of God. Jesus will speak to the gossiping spirit in you. Jesus will speak to the lying nature in us. Jesus will speak to the exaggerator in us. Jesus will speak to the slanderer in us and says, shape up. That's not my will. Jesus will speak to the laziness in us. Jesus will speak to the lack of priority in us. It's just some tough words in scriptures. There's some tough, and it's all for us. It's a good word. You know, the Bible says you better treat your, treat your wife with tenderness as the weaker vessel. She is a delicate vessel, it's real. But it also says a husband who does not take care of his home is worse than an unbeliever. That's real. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? And I got to take the whole counsel of the Word of God. I need the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so you and I have to have some discernment because I'm going to just, this is that past, uh, uh, for those who are visiting, I'm speaking to the church really quickly. This may not apply to you. Please don't get offended. But I see that there are a lot of Christians who go from church to church because they get offended at someone who points out something. Sometimes it's pointed out because it's a lie or somebody has spoken a lie. But sometimes somebody's speaking the truth. In both cases, you shouldn't leave a church. Where has God called you to be? Address the issue. If somebody's addressed you with the wrong spirit, address that issue. Right? Talk about it. Reconcile. Seek unity. But if somebody's telling you truth, well, you know, I don't like such and such because they said this about me. Well, do you do such and such? Yeah, but you know, they shouldn't be saying that. Man, at what point are we just going to take ownership? I plead God, if anything in my life, make me a man who takes ownership of my shortcomings. I mean, what kind of church? How are we ever going to grow if we always make up an excuse for why we lack character? There there has to come a point. Men of God, can I talk? If in your marriage you don't take ownership for your sin, you're going to destroy your marriage. Woman of God, if in your marriage you don't take ownership for your sin, you're going to destroy your marriage. Parents, if in your life you don't take ownership of when you sin against your kids, you're going to lose your ability to speak into your kids' lives. You don't think Jesus is trying to speak to you? This is for somebody. You don't think Jesus is trying to speak to you about the harshness of your tone when you speak to your children? You don't think Jesus is trying to speak to us? And not in a crushing way, but in a way that says, I got better for you. I've put a prophetic anointing over you so that you can speak life over your marriage and your children. And I don't want you to waste that. Are you with me? When Jesus rebukes, it's for our good, even when it hurts. We're going to close, really close here. It's closing. Another thing we notice in the scripture, we can be honest with our doubts. But we can seek him until we get our breakthrough. What do we need to learn to do? Be honest with our doubts before the Lord, but seek him until we get the breakthrough. I've learned. Do you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I've had doubts in my walk. There are things that I've struggled with in my walk. And you know what I thought? That I needed to conceal those things because those things, you know, if I bring them to Jesus, forget it. He's going to be done with me. But the Bible doesn't say that. Instead, what I've learned is whenever I notice a doubt in my spirit or in my heart or in my mind, what I do is I bring it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, look, I'm struggling with this. I know who you are. I believe this. But this insecurity in me, where does it come from? This issue, where does it come from? Why am I? And I just want to bring this up to you because I'm disappointed in you, God. I thought you were going to do this, but this didn't happen. And I'm trying to come to you in faith, but I'm so disappointed I don't even know what to say. You think God is intimidated with you praying that way? Don't you think God knows your heart anyway? What he's waiting is for you and I to just come to him with our disappointments. To come with our doubts. But what we have to commit to is say this, God, I am disappointed, I'm hurt, I'm offended, I'm struggling, I don't understand why you didn't do what I thought you would do because your word says that you do those things but you haven't done it yet and I'm suffering right now and I'm grieving because it hasn't happened, but I'm here. I'm here. I'll be here. Where else am I going to turn but you? But I'm here. That's a place where God can move. And in that place... I want to encourage you. Don't let go when everything seems dead and hopeless. You're just in the middle of a miracle. Don't let go. Notice how Jesus healed that boy. He commanded that spirit to leave in the name of Jesus and never to come back. That boy fell flat on the ground, and he was so still, people thought he was dead. Every, some people even said, he's dead. It's over. What did Jesus do? Took him by the hand. Jesus took him by the hand, said, Get up. Jesus took him by the hand. It's an incredible thing. Let me tell you something. In life, as you walk with Jesus, you're going to go through some things as you're waiting on God. It just seems like everything's hopeless and everything's dead, and people are going to say all kinds of crazy things to you. Even people in the church, right? Even kingdom people who say the wrong thing to not motivate faith. It's in that moment where you need to hold on because Jesus is about to do something. You're just in the middle of the miracle. Don't give up. God gave you a dream to go to the mission field. Hold on. He's going to open a door. God gave you a dream to be debt free. Hold on. He's going to open a door. God's given you a vision for your marriage and your kids. Hold on. He's going to open a door. God's given you a a, a vision to whatever it may be that God's put in your heart. You just hold on and persevere because when things seem dead and hopeless, Jesus may just extend his hand and lift you right up out of that place where you're in. Makes you wonder how many times we walked away in the middle of a miracle. We're in the middle of a miracle. Don't let go when all things seem hopeless. You're just in the middle of a miracle. It just, I'm just reminded. When I was a southeastern, this is going to be for. I, I just want to speak for a moment to the young adults who are here and teenagers who are here, <laughs> or maybe looking for uh, to go to school at one point and or wondering how that's going to happen. I went to school without a penny, and without any financial aid. And I went for three semesters. And every time before my test, I had to go to to the administrative office and say to the administrator, I have no money, but I believe it's coming in. And every time they looked at me and said, we're not supposed to let you test, but this time we'll let you. Second semester, same thing. I have no money, but it's coming in. We're not supposed to let you test. We're going to let you this time. The third semester, registration office called me and said, hey, we're not going to allow it this time. Something has to come in. And what did, I, what did I do? I kept studying. I kept persevering. I had exams. Just acted like it was going to happen. I finally said, God, it's out of my control. I'm just going to do what I can with what I have. If you don't make this happen, you don't make this happen. But I'm going to do everything that I need to do in my strength. And I did just that. Wouldn't you know it? The day I tested, my financial aid all came, came in. For three semesters, covered everything I owed. Wouldn't you know it? But I could have given up. I could have let doubt cover me and just say, well, you know, it's just not going to happen. Don't give up. In the middle of your miracle, God is doing something. Now, let me just say this. Would you stand with me today? We see through the scripture again as we bring it all together that Jesus is warrior king and all the demons in hell know it. We see that when Jesus rebukes his disciples, it's for for our good. We see that we can be honest with our doubts, but we can seek them in the midst of it until we get our breakthrough. We see that we shouldn't let go when all things seem dead and hopeless because Jesus is working things out. And the last thing, the last thing here, which is where we begun. Notice what Jesus said: "This generation will not pass, but without prayer." And some translations would say, "Again, prayer and fasting." And again, fasting is a component of prayer, so we shouldn't see them separate. So I want to just say this to you. I want to ask you a question: What are you praying and fasting for? What is on your journal? What is on your posted on your refrigerator? What is it that you are praying and fasting for? You realize it's a long-term thing. You realize it's a habit that needs to be broken. You realize it's an impossible thing that God needs to come through and work in. What is it that you as a person are committing to to pray and fast for until God breaks through and does whatever it is that he needs to do? It's got to be something. And this should be exciting. This is not a judgment. I'm excited about it. Because I can't wait to see what God's going to do when we commit to this kind of lifestyle. Yes. What are you in, praying, in prayer and fasting for? As a church, there are several things that I want to bring up to you. If we go to the next slide. This is what we're praying and fasting for. The unity of the body. We're believing this year, God, that you want to bring unity to this body like never before. Uh, a desperate unity. A unity in pursuing you. A unity in the fellowship and in the ministry that you've given us. We're praying for provision for the vision. God's told us very clearly what we're supposed to do. We're asking for God to provide for that. We're praying for Jesus to fill our schools. Let me just pause there. Facet Junior High, Clay High School, right? Uh, Eisenhower, uh, Star Elementary, all of the schools in our areas, we're beginning to pray and say, God, what do you have for the rock in these schools? Lord, we're praying for these families. We're praying for those kids to have an encounter with you. Imagine if, if revival broke out in our high schools. Wouldn't that be awesome? In our middle schools. So together, collectively, as a staff, and I'm inviting you to join us in this, we're praying for our schools, asking for God to move in the school system, in our area. And lastly, saturate Toledo. Come March. Come March. Come March. We are going to mobilize to go to a mo- about 10,000 homes, 10,000 homes, door to door, giving them some information, the movie, of Jesus, a movie of, uh, the movie of the gospel of Jesus Christ, some <laughs> booklets that they can have. We're just going to pray for people and be a blessing to people. Somebody has provided all of the materials that we need so that we can go and minister to every home in our area. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Just like the disciples went two by two. So what are we going to do? We're going to begin to pray and fast. God, prepare the ground, prepare the home, prepare the families that we're going to visit because we want the east side of Toledo and encounter your goodness. We want Oregon to encounter your goodness. We want to be a part of this. And we're not the only church participating in this. There are at least a couple hundred churches that are doing this. So that all the vision is this. All of Toledo and Toledo area would be visited by a church who says, we love you, and we believe that God has a plan for you. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Those are the things that we're praying and fasting for. Let me ask you the question. What are you praying and fasting for today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for the weapon of prayer and fasting, the gift of prayer and fasting, the opportunities you give us to connect to you, God, in a deeper way. It's not about getting saved. You do that all by yourself. But it's about growing in you and in intimacy with you. There's visions and dreams that you're wanting to release. There's callings and ministry that you're wanting to release. There's a new word for 2020 that you're wanting to declare. And God, you're looking for a people with prayerful hearts. Hearts that are submitted, yielded. So Father, today I just pray for your church. Give vision for prayer and fasting to your church. Open up our eyes to the power of prayer and fasting and have your way. Hallelujah. Lord, I bless your people. I bless them. Oh, teach us to receive your word. Teach us to go hard after you. Amen. Amen. If the altar workers would come up at this time. If you're here today and... Uh, there's something that you want to you need prayer for we'd like to welcome you up maybe you're something that you're standing in the gap for your prayer time uh through your prayer and fasting time we just want to take the time to pray for all of those who are here who are saying you know what Uh, i just need prayer i need someone to pray with me as i persevere through these next seven days of prayer and fasting whatever it may be we'd like to let you know that we're available to you amen so if you have a prayer request prayer need please come up we love to pray with you. Let me just bless you all. Father, I bless your church. Increase our hunger for you. Have your way throughout these next seven days. You're in the middle of working a miracle in our lives. We trust you. We believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. The altars are open. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen.